Uh, we're doing Jonah, and uh, it's the resistant prophet. Uh, what an incredible story of a man who God specifically said, I want you to go do this. He said, okay, then I'll go that way. And Pastor Marcus kicked that off last week, uh, talking about Jonah, who fled from the presence of the Lord, hopped the ship, ended up, and last week you left him in the belly of a great fish uh, for a week rather than three days and three nights. So it probably seemed like a really long time to him anyway, so maybe we'll get that same feel. But today, I want to talk about uh, what God does when his people are far from him. I don't know if you have ever felt that way. I, I presume you have, whether it's due to circumstances that have come into your life and you've just felt like, I, I don't even know if God notices me right now. Or perhaps things that you have done that have led to you feeling far from God, or at least separated in some particular way. Or if you uh, have struggled or perhaps are struggling with just a sense of, I just... I feel like God's got his attention on somebody else. This sermon is for you. And I think that's probably most all of us, right? There are seasons in our life when we face struggles and difficulties that even if there are friends around, we just somehow still feel kind of alone. So, of course, this is an extreme example of feeling alone, right? You are in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights in the ocean somewhere in the Mediterranean Sea. So we're assuming none of us has had it quite that separated. But it's, it's an account that I think gives us so much incredible information about God, who he is, his faithfulness. It's raw, it's honest, it's Jonah at his worst talking to God. And we're going to go through his prayer and talk about it. I want, to, I want to encourage you up front to watch for some lessons in your own life as you negotiate the things that come. Because this is, this is a, an account in Scripture, an actual historical account of something that happened in a man's life. But it's not just there to give us some good moral lessons, right? We're going to find out as we go. But I want to begin by talking about the peril that were in Jonah's circumstances, the peril that was there. I mean, this is really bad. This is no small thing, right? We, this, is, this is one of the things. Isn't it interesting how we decorate our children's nurseries with the worst possible events in the history of mankind, right? Jonah and the fish and Noah and the ark. How cute is that? All those people being destroyed by a flood, but we don't put them on the wall, so it doesn't look quite so bad. But... This is one of them, right? And we, we almost get the impression, here's this cool little story about this guy, and he tried to run, and they threw him overboard, and he got in a fish, and then he decided to go preach after all. And, and you know, it all seems very light to us. This is not light. This is heavy. This is really bad. This is Jonah hearing from the Lord directly, I want you to go preach to Nineveh, that horrible bunch of people whose king brags about flaying people alive and chopping people's heads off and stacking, stacking them in piles. He was a terrible, terrible person. 
And Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which we know historically less than 100 years later was going to be the kingdom to which the kingdom of Judah would fall. They were going to be used by God to punish the children of Israel. And now God says, I want you to go and preach to them. So he says, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And so he buys a ticket, runs down to uh, Joppa, or rather, yeah, went, wanted to go to Tarshish, went to Joppa, bought a ticket, hopped a boat, decided he'd go across the Mediterranean some couple thousand miles and get as far away as he could. And God said, uh, no, that's not going to happen. And so, as you saw last week, God hurled a storm at him. Now, we get storms here, right? Uh, we're coming into, won't be too long, we'll be in hurricane season, and we'll be watching all those low-pressure systems to see what happens. you got to know, when God throws a storm at you, something bad has happened. Uh, you need to be paying attention, right? And so, God did that. And they threw him over, and he's in the belly of the fish, and he's there three days and three nights. It's horrible. Uh, envision it, right? He says, I called out to the Lord. That, the idea in this, let me, let me go ahead and read the first part of his prayer. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. And you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. He called out to the Lord. That's a word that describes grabbing someone that's walking by by the arm and saying, listen to me. He is screaming for help, crying out to God out of his distress. That seems like a really kind word for being caught in the belly of a fish. I've been swallowed alive by a fish. I'm in distress, right? But that, that's probably what we do when we come to church, right? How are you doing? Well, things are a little difficult right now. And it may have been horrible this past week because we like to be a little cool about it. But he is in distress. He is not, this is not just distress. This is horrible, dire straits. And he cried out to God. Well, what else would you do? We find the picture that he gives here of him kind of floating down and the seaweeds wrapping around his head and he's beginning to faint and all of this stuff. He may be near to dying as he cries out to God. I don't know if this prayer was toward the beginning or toward the end of the three days and three nights. If it's at the beginning, then that's, there's one aspect to what God does with this fish. If it's at the end, then he's been in there quite a while before he finally breaks down and says, oh God, I cannot take this anymore. I'm in such horrible straits. But I want you to know also that this was providential. You notice he even points that out. You cast me into the deep. It was the sailors that threw him overboard, but it was God who cast him into the deep. It was your waves and your billows. That storm, he knew that came from God. 
Jonah was well aware that he had caused all that trouble for those mariners. He knew that he was in the belly of that fish because he disobeyed. This was providential, but it was a providential rescue. Almost as, as if God said, no, no, you're not going to die. You're not getting off that easy. I asked you to do something. And so he has rescued him and left him in the belly of this fish for three days. It is no accident, but it was useful. So if he repented early on, why the three days and three nights? I think Pastor Marcus mentioned last week, that is picked up in the New Testament, right? The, the one sign when everybody is fussing and complaining, if you're really the God, just give us a sign. Jonah said, oh, you'll get a sign. I'll spend three days and three nights in the earth. Just, it's the sign of Jonah. This becomes a picture of what Jesus would do. But it was useful. It was useful if he repented early. Perhaps this was transportation, right? I mean, he's 2,000 miles from Nineveh. He's got to get across the Mediterranean somehow. That wouldn't be probably something you'd buy a ticket for. But God is getting him where he needs to be. And even if he repents at the end, God is not asking. He is saying, I need you to go do this. It's useful. So let me ask you about your times of difficulty. What is the question that comes up most often? There's a couple of them. One is why, why at all, why this? But after a little while, what's the next one? Why does this have to last so long? And usually we don't know. Usually God doesn't explain exactly why things have to last so long. Part of it may be that God intends for us to understand that even the forces that seem to be against us are ultimately in his hands. And they cannot move apart from his permission. All that stuff that happened to Job in the Old Testament would never have happened if Satan didn't come to God and have that conversation and God said, okay, you can touch him, but here are your limits. We don't understand why much of the time, but let me tell you this, even if we can't readily discern the purpose for our trial, it doesn't mean there isn't one. Have you ever heard the phrase, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart? That's what we have to do sometimes with God. Jonah had to come to the point where he understood this is a mess and I know why I'm here. But I don't know why it's got to be so long. I mean, it's nasty in there, right? He's in the belly of a fish that probably still, he's not dinner. He's just a passenger. So the fish still has to eat. So there's nasty, rotting fish in there. I assume there are stomach acids. I know, how nasty to talk about that in church, but I, I want us to know what's going on in his experience. And in that, he has the most difficult part of the experience, and that's this. There is distress in Jonah's separation. Verse 4, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. 
yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. That's a pretty terrifying description. Here's the, here's the worst part about it. He got what he wanted, right? Three times in the first chapter, twice in verse 3 and once in verse 10, it says he bought that ticket in order to flee from the presence of the Lord. And now he got what he wanted. Be careful what you pray for. You might get it. Listen, this isn't a sermon on prayer, but man, I look back over my life and I think about things that I prayed for that God said no. And now I look back and think, oh God, thank you for not saying yes to me about that. This was the, in part, a response to Jonah's request. He got exactly what he asked for. He ran from the presence of the Lord. And now that he has this desire, he feels it to be his bitterest sorrow to be deprived of God's presence, which he once thought to be a burden. Now I want you to think about this. You may feel, think on occasion that you are separated from God and out of his thinking and that he's just lost track of you. That's not the case. And I'll tell you why. If you're a follower of Jesus, somebody experienced that for you so you would never have to, right? What happened to Jesus on the cross? He experienced beginning in the Garden of Gethsemane. Oh God, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. What was the cup? I don't think it was the cup of physical suffering. I think he knew he was about to be separated from his father. And on the cross, he cried out, oh my God, 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 why have you forsaken me? That sounds horrible to us. Imagine having eternally been in perfect union and fellowship with the Father, and then have him turn his back on you for even a few moments. Must have been a horrible experience. I said there's good news in that, right? He experienced that so you never have to. Jesus experienced separation from God so I don't ever have to experience that. What an incredible thing. What an incredible part in the, the back part of this story. So that Jesus could say and was quoted in Hebrews, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So if you think God has forsaken you, you're wrong. That's not how God works. He was hopeless. He was really, really in bad straits, right? He got what he wanted and now he's hopeless. That picture of him descending down just seems scary at best. And he anticipated he would die. 
but he was not out of reach. God was always completely aware of where he was. You know, it's interesting in the, in the scriptures how often the Bible talks about sea and oceans when it relates to trouble. We may feel to be in an ocean of trouble and out of the sight of God, but we are never out of reach. Remember these verses from the 139th Psalm, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. That's just what Jonah said in his prayer, right? If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. One of the beauties of, of living in, in our eternal state with God is what? There's no need of the sun anymore. Because God's light will light everything. I am never out of the reach of God. Now, Psalm 139 is a great great source of encouragement and comfort when I feel separated. It's also a bit of a challenge too, right? When I'm wanting to be separated, when I'm in my closet, when I'm being quiet, when I'm off doing something I should not do, you are never out of reach. Did you ever feel like your mom had eyes in the back of her head? Like you could sneak into the room. She knew which of the kids it was by their footsteps. You, you do something, she just knows. It's like she's got people. Which, in some cases, let's be honest, she does. But God knows. Do not try to hide from God. He may not put you in the belly of a fish, but he will not let you just walk away. Listen, wouldn't it be the worst possible bad news if we were to discover that God will not chase us when we run? If God would just let us go, okay, well, you want to go, go. That is not our faithful God. You are never out of his reach, whether it's circumstances of your own doing or, or whether the circumstances of life and situations that have come into your life, you are not out of reach. Thirdly, there's hope in these last few verses in God's faithfulness. He knew where to turn. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I don't know, maybe drifting in and out of consciousness. I remembered the Lord. Who had moved? It wasn't God. Jonah had tried to run. If you feel separated from God, I assure you, it isn't because he has moved. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. 
Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I'll say verse 10 because this sounds too good. I don't want to throw that in there. He knew where to turn. Listen, if there was ever a candidate for patron saint of putting things off till the last minute, it would be Jonah. (laughs) He's about dead. And then he remembers the Lord. But I wonder if you have been there too. Things have gotten bad and they've spiraled out of control and it's been rough and it's been a really hard season and you realize a few days or a few weeks or a few months in, man, I really got to spend some time with the Lord about this. Though God had not forgotten him, he acted as though God didn't matter. And when he hit bottom, he turned his heart and his prayer to God. Can I tell you, if you are here or you're listening to us on the live stream or sometime later, it is never too late to turn back to the Lord. Never. Because he is faithful even when we are not. He knew who to turn to. He knew who to cling to. That eighth verse is really powerful, right? Those who pay regard to vain idols, they forsake their opportunity for the steadfast love of God to be demonstrated. That pay regard isn't just acknowledge them, it's cling to them. What are we clinging to that's not God? Is it my job? Is it my health? Is it my financial security? It's not enough to let go of the idols. We need to know who to cling to. Sometimes we give up one idol and we pick up another. We give up all of our idols and we cling to the Lord. Jonah was reminded of that desperately because he had nowhere else to turn, literally. We, all of us, are in desperate straits apart from the Lord. Amen? In the first chapter, the sailors were perishing. In chapter 2, Jonah is perishing. In the next chapter, we're going to see that the Ninevites are perishing. Everybody's perishing in this book. And one of the most encouraging notes about this entire account is everybody who's perishing when they turn to the Lord is no longer perishing. We are grateful because salvation belongs to the Lord. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Then what name? Jesus, right? The name of Jesus is the name by which we must be saved. So listen, if, if you are here or listening and 
you are not yet a follower of Christ. Maybe you're here checking things out. You're, you're at least curious enough to be in a church, which thank you for doing that. I really am grateful. But listen, let me, let me tell you something. You are perishing just as surely as Jonah was, just as surely as those mariners were. You are on your way to being permanently forever separated from God. You are right now, and you may not even realize it. Now, listen, no judgment on our part, because we were all there. Every one of us was there. But if you don't understand this process, this prayer that I'm about to share with you, you will you will be forever separated from God. If you die in the state of separation, you will be permanently separated from God. And it changes with the gospel. It changes when I realize that what separates me from God is my sin. It's what separated Jonah, right? He was disobedient. Fundamentally, he just said, no, I don't want to do that. He didn't go out and murder a bunch of people. He wasn't, you know, like on death row. He just said, no, I, I, I heard what God said, but I don't want to do it that way. And so he decided to go somewhere else. And because of it, he was separated from God. And when he realized it, he realized what a horrible situation that was. He knew what he had to do. He had to turn to God. That's what you have to do. You have to acknowledge that what you have done has been the wrong thing. You are a sinner. That's what all of us are. We're all sinners separated from God. And so something has to happen to fix that. Something has to take place to get me from separated to no longer separated, but rather being a child of God. And what happens is I turn from my sin. I believe in the gospel. What's the gospel? Jesus, God in the flesh, God the Son came, lived the perfect life that I could never have lived even if I had been trying all these years. And even if I started today, I wouldn't be able to do it for the rest of my life. And it wouldn't be a perfect life. It'd be a perfect season. Jesus lived the perfect life I will never live. Then he died on the cross, paying the penalty for the sin of all who would believe in him. He was put in a tomb, and on the third day, he literally came back to life again. And so, I repent, I turn from my sin, I believe in the truth of the gospel, and I receive Jesus. To as many as received him, to them he gave power, authority to become children of God, from separated to a child of God. Because in the instant I do that, God considers all of my sin as having been applied to Jesus when he died on the cross and experienced separation from God. And he takes all the righteousness of Christ, lived perfectly in conformity to the law of God, and applies it to my account. So I know who to cling to. I know what I have to do. And so verse 9, he says, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He gave, he offered thanksgiving, and he promised to sacrifice to the Lord by doing what he had promised. Now, we don't have the record in here of him promising to go to Nineveh, so I suspect Earlier in Jonah's life, when God called him to be a prophet, he said, yes, sir, 
I'm in. You know, maybe that's why God doesn't give us everything he wants us to do before we say yes, right? We say yes on faith, knowing that there are going to come some times when God is going to say, I want you to do this, and we're going to say, really? On a good day, right? Or maybe, uh, no. Jonah disobeyed by refusing to do what God told him to do. Went through all of this experience to give us a picture of what Jesus experienced for us. Separation from God. Three days and three nights. Jesus experienced that so we don't have to. So let me give you a few uh, thoughts to take with you. The first is simply a reminder of something I said earlier. You are not out of God's reach. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you will never be out of God's reach. This is how Paul wrote it in Romans chapter 8. So rather than try and wax any more eloquent than this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that is a word of confidence having been persuaded of the facts. I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. And just in case you can think of something else, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing separates us from Jesus. It cannot because you are not out of God's reach, Christian. Secondly, I want to encourage you, cling to Jesus. What are you clinging to or who are you clinging to for your sense of security or confidence? If you're here and have never trusted in Christ, you are perhaps one of those mariners. I mean, they seemed like pretty upstanding guys, right? When they found out Jonah was the cause of their trouble, he said, throw me overboard, it'll all be good. They said, we can't do that. I mean, that seems like a pretty good bunch of guys, right? I mean, in fact, guys in general aren't usually that compassionate. Like, oh, this is your fault? Good, you're out of here, right? Not those guys, but they were perishing. And they needed to come to understand who God was. People are still perishing. And if you have never trusted in Jesus, so are you, my friend. But people around us are still perishing. People we work with, people we uh, do our leisure time activities with, people that are our neighbors, people in our family. There are people around us that are still perishing and may not even be aware of it. And God is still saving those who will cling to Jesus. And lastly, 
please always remember God is faithful. He doesn't just act faithfully toward you, though he does that. It is in his nature and character to be faithful. He cannot be otherwise. So even when you cannot trace his hand, even when you don't see what he's doing, trust his heart. He is your father, or as the New Testament calls it, your Abba. Very tender term for a dad. I know, listen, I know I say that, and there might be somebody sitting here listening that's like, yeah, well, my dad, tender would not be the word I'd use. Well, you can use it for God. He cares for you deeply. He loves you. He sent the one and only unique son to pay for your sin, to care for you, to provide for you, to give you salvation when you were separated from him. What an incredible account of scripture, right? He ran. But when it came down to it, he he knew where to turn. And so, not to end on a disgusting note, but we're going to leave it till next week, right? So God spoke to the fish. You've noticed that everything else is listening really well, right? He appointed a fish. He appointed a plant. When it gets to chapter 4, everything he says, I want you to do this, they do this. And so in this case, he speaks to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up on dry ground. Now that in itself is nasty, I know. But I'm pretty sure Jonah got the point. And we're just going to leave him sitting there in that until next Sunday. And Pastor Marcus will continue the account. And, uh, man, I'm really grateful. He's a resistant prophet. We see more of ourselves in him than we want to admit sometimes, don't we? But God is faithful and God is gracious. And God will, will never stop reaching to us. We who are his children never have to worry that God will eventually wipe his hands of us and say, you know what, forget it. He's a lost cause. That's never true for a child of God. Aren't you grateful for that? Listen, I'm going to have the team come back up. They're going to sing, and then we're going to close with our benediction, uh, which I have missed for the last couple of weeks. So I'm looking forward to that. But they're going to lead us in a song of worship, and then we'll remain uh, have our benediction and then leave if you would like or are able to stay to join our prayer team. By all means, do that, but let me pray. All right, Father in heaven, we, uh, we're so incredibly thankful for your faithfulness. We look at Jonah and we unfortunately see more of ourselves in him than we would like to, to acknowledge we don't always do what you want us to do. We sometimes just go completely the other way. And uh, Lord, we're grateful that Jesus experienced separation from you so we never have to. What an incredible truth. So Lord, I pray for the, the one that's listening this morning that for whom they are still separated and have perhaps just today realized that that's true. Lord, that doesn't need to stay true. I pray that they'd come and talk to one of us. And uh, God, would you be pleased to honor yourself in us as we sing this closing song. For I ask in Jesus' name, amen.